You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Hey guys, so if you like my podcast, I think you might like this other one that I've just been introduced to. It's called Shame on You, and it is hosted by two single gay guys named Jordan and Brad, who are on a journey to zero shame through extreme vulnerability. It's actually a comedy podcast, but it is a raw journey of self-exploration that includes interviews with their ex-boyfriends, fuck buddies, one-night stands, their moms, and more. The show has grown from 200 listeners a week to over 10,000 in just four months. That's a huge jump. New episodes air Thursday on all players. And by the way, if you're in New York, they'll be doing a live show August 24th at 9.30 p.m. at the Green Room 42. So make sure that you check out Shame on You, available now on all podcast platforms. Today's guest is Carmen Karma, and she is celebrating quite an accomplishment. She wrote a book. So many people talk about how they're going to write a book, Even I might have said that a few times, but to actually sit down and do it is an entirely different story. And speaking of stories, Carmen definitely has one to tell. She's survived abuse, neglect, drug addiction, and suicide attempts, all laid out unapologetically in her new memoir, Overcome. And that title is truly one that resonates, as today Carmen is sober and enthusiastically tackling a successful career in porn, all the while raising a family. I can relate to Carmen on so many levels, the obvious one being our shared past problems with addiction, but mostly this interview got me thinking about the gift of coming out on the other side of it, of having gone through some of the darkest times in your life and to have learned so much from that. I valued the struggles of my past because they made me a better person. The strange blessing of alcoholism or drug addiction is the gratitude that comes from no longer being trapped in that dark space. It's how years of powerlessness made you so much stronger, how the pain forces an appreciation of the joy, how sweet freedom tastes after you've been locked away in a prison of your own making for much of your life. You know, Sometimes I worry that we talk about addiction too much on this podcast, that people get sick of hearing about recovery. I mean, God knows it's not really all that sexy, right? But just two days ago, I got an email from someone who told me that my podcast encouraged him to get sober. And this isn't the first time that I've received this kind of message from somebody, but I'm going to read you this one that I just got um, day before yesterday, but I'm obviously going to leave his name out for privacy reasons. I just started listening to your podcasts. I'm a big fan of them. You are fun, interesting, and unique in a great way. I have to thank you because of your honesty on your show, I am getting clean. I have been a functional alcoholic for many, many years. I never had the bravery to even attempt to stop drinking. I always had an excuse for my drinking. I know I have a long, hard road ahead, but for the first time, I want to be sober. You should know you touch someone very deeply to become a better man. Thank you for your honesty. And thank you. We'll call you M. So thank you, M. Um, and that, my friends, is, is why we talk about these uncomfortable subjects. And to be fair, I don't choose guests based on whether or not they struggle with addiction. It just 
kind of has worked out that way that I've had quite a few on. And the thing is, is that so many of us do in porn and definitely outside of it. And I appreciate every single guest who's willing to come on and share their journey with the rest of us. So thank you, Carmen, for sharing yours. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have Carmen Karma on. Hello. Hello. And she is here because she did something that is a big deal, something that um, a lot of people talk about, something that I've been talking about doing for, I don't know, the last 20 years. Really? I haven't even gotten close to it. She wrote a motherfucking book. Yes. (laughs) It is crazy because I wrote it not knowing I was going to get a book deal. So I didn't get like a book deal and then write it. Yeah. I just kind of wrote it with maybe it'll get published one day, but kind of like in the back of my head, I was like, who's going to take a porn star seriously Yeah, to like give them a book. And um, I reached out to a company that I knew did um, another porn memoir mm-hmm. and they were interested. And then it's still like, like, even though I'm looking at my book right now on the table, like it it's just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem real. Yeah. It's, it's a big crazy. accomplishment. Yeah, it took me like two years to write it. I I was going to ask you how long it take it took you to write it because, I mean, it's a big undertaking. Um, you know, not only just the time, but also I think like just going back through your life and pulling. I mean, you a lot you a lot of shit happened to you. Yeah, there were certain chapters that were like really. Hard I would to yeah. Write. It took me a while because I just didn't want to like relive it. Cause you have, when you're writing mm-hmm. about it, you have to like close your eyes and like envision everything to be able to get it across to the reader. Right. So like I'm li- living through like every detail again. So mm-hmm. for certain chapters, it was definitely difficult. Like when my husband would come home from work, he, he could tell me like, Oh, were you writing about something like today? Like, yeah. because it would, it was really affecting me. But at the end it was just like so therapeutic. Cause I just like got it all out on paper mm-hmm. and it was a great feeling. Yeah. So when did you decide, like, when did the idea of um, writing a book first occur to you? I actually, I remember when I was in high school and I had an eating disorder mm-hmm. and I remember like one day I want to write about this. I remember thinking that. Mm. And so I've always really been into like English. Like that was the only class I did good at. And, Same. Yeah. Like I, I love was an English writing. major. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So yeah, I always, and then, you know, I just kind of got into drugs and alcohol when I did um, my eating disorder. Like I was recovered and then my life was just kind of a shit show for years where mm-hmm. I was never in a place to like care to write anymore. And like mm-hmm. my life was spiraling. So who would want to read anything like because mm-hmm. there's no happy ending. Yeah. It's like you don't <laughs> want to write a book until you feel like you've reached the end, which hopefully will be there'll be some kind of redemption. Right. Right. You don't want to just be like, oh, here's how I ruined my, my life. Whole life. <laughs> my life is shitty and it continues to be shitty. The end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then um, I, I left porn when I was 24, because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to have a daughter with my husband, and mm-hmm. clearly that's the only way I could make sure it was his. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I, you know, if I get off birth control, it could be anyone. So. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah, and I, I really wanted to have a baby, but, you know, you can't do, you can't do both. Yeah. It could be anybody's. Yeah. So I had a lot of time as I wasn't working and I'm just pregnant. So that's when I started writing. Mm. So I was like, also had like my pregnancy hormones as I'm writing like 
very traumatic thing. Oh so God. I was just like a train wreck for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because, um, I have also like thought like one day I'll write a book, but sometimes when I'm going through like really hard things, I'll think to myself, this is just another chapter for my book. And it's a way yeah. of me thinking about like, I'm going to move past this and things are going to get better. And I'm going to look back on this life experience and I'm going to like, it's going to be valuable to me in some way. Exactly. And, um, that's how I feel now looking back at it. But like, Back then, I never thought, like, oh, people are going to be inspired by this one mm-hmm. day. But I definitely think, like, you would have a really good book because I know you like the stuff that you've been through by listening to your podcast. And I feel like it'd be a really good story, too. Thanks. You should Thanks. do it when Thank you're not you. so I busy. Will. I know. <laughs> one day. One day. Um, but let's talk about you. So um, you started off. It sounded like you had kind of a difficult childhood. You had a good relationship with your father, but your mother wasn't really there for you. Yeah. My mom, like, me and my sisters were just, like terrified of her so we always like from as long as I can remember we just we hated her like Mm -hmm. we were so scared of her and like our dad was like as soon as they come home from work we would like stop hiding like we would hide while my dad's at work so we were so scared of her and they finally got divorced when I was six Mm -hmm. and um like it was childhood got better at that point but I feel like something in me was just kind of like off since then like Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it was just like I couldn't trust my own mom and she would like say she would kill me and just really bad stuff. Yeah. And, um, well going through this book, I actually like went and got my court files from my parents' divorce. so I could read it. And like, I started finding out new things that I didn't remember in my head. Oh wow. So it started like, just like abuse that physical abuse that I didn't remember. So it just kind of like brought up new wounds too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like because I couldn't trust my own mom, that is why I acted out like my whole life and what mm-hmm. I was searching for now, like in hindsight, seeing like how my life and how I dealt with everything. I just, I just totally acted out, but my dad was so loving and I feel so bad. Cause we would be always like, why couldn't you give us a good mom? And yeah. he was like, le- but he like fought so hard. He got the custody of me and my two sisters. So he was raising three girls by himself. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank God at least you had like one parent that right. cared about you and took care of you. Right. Um, yeah. And you do seem to mention in the book a few times that you probably, um, the lack of love and attention from your mom caused you to seek validation in other people. And do you think that that's kind of partially why you got into porn? I think, I mean, for when I'm writing this, like in the second chapter about how it was just always sexual. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, that's why I just think, like, poor, like some people are just really sexually made. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if it's maybe something that is affected by me being traumatized by my mom. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. like, I've always, I remember seeing, like, a Playboy when I was super young mm-hmm. and being like, I want to be like that. Mm-hmm. And just always being so sexual, like, way before most kids are sexual. Right, right. So, I don't know if it was an attention thing from people or, or if, just if I'm just sexual wired that way. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe a combination of both. I think it's, a, it's kind of impossible to say because I think everybody is a result of nature and nurture combined. And right. it's, I think it's really difficult to tease the, the two out mm-hmm. like one from the other. And, you know, from my experience, having interviewed a lot of people in this industry, I've had people on who grew up in loving homes where, you know, their parents were there for them and they still 
were sexual from a young age right. and then people who come from broken homes. So I think it's, um, I think it's hard to say. I think it's something that like a lot of people who are anti-porn like to latch onto because yeah. they like to be like, Oh, these reasons are why you became a porn star. But like, I knew accountants right. that came from like broken homes, you know right. what I mean? Exactly. So it's like, it's prevalent everywhere. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I always, I, I've always wanted to do porn. I was like trying to hold my, myself back from doing porn. Like when I started webcamming, then mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I need a strip. And I was trying not to. Like I've always been sexual, even if I didn't come join porn. Mm-hmm. Like I was sexual before then, you know? Right. And it's just, I was like, wait, I could make a career out of doing what I'm already doing. Right. And make a lot of money doing it. Why would I not? It just seemed perfect for me. Right, right. And do you... Are you happy now that you made that decision? Do you still feel very much at home in the porn industry? Do you feel like it was the right place for you? Everything that happened, even, like, things that were, like, shitty at the times, I'm so happy for every little, like, the bad stuff I wrote about my book. I'm still happy because now I'm so strong. Right. And now, like, I'm so happy in porn because I'm I'm such a strong woman that I'm not going to be doing things or getting taken advantage of that or doing things I don't want to be doing now Mm -hmm. because I feel like I've just kind of came out, like, Super strong, and you know the industry is a good place. There mm-hmm. are bad people, but it's you have to be a strong person and not put yourself in those positions. And I feel like although things aren't my fault, a lot of the times I just wasn't a strong enough person to like say no, like yeah, hey, knock it off, you know. Yeah. But it's just there's bad like, people anywhere. Yeah, you kind of like allowed things. To, I mean, it's so tricky. It is tricky. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's definitely things that aren't your fault. And then I know you and I share, like, stories of addiction. Yeah. Right? So, and um, myself having, you know, gone through a 12-step program, one of the things that I found really helpful was um, doing the fourth step and looking at, like, your role in everything. Yeah. You know? And there are things that, you know, happen to people that are definitely not their fault. So, like, one, I remember asking... um, my sponsor, and I, I wasn't a victim of child abuse, but, like, asking my sponsor, like, well, what about something like child abuse? Like, how can you be like, oh, you know, I'm going to look at my part in that. Because you're a child. It's not your exactly. fault. And she was like, no, it's absolutely not your fault. Like, child abuse is clearly not the child's fault. But you're an adult now. And holding on to that and letting that influence the decisions that you make and letting that influence how you see the world and how you conduct yourself – that's your part. Exactly. Holding on to that and not like letting that go. So you need to let that go so that you can like be free. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's totally how I felt like, t- I w- felt like a victim for so long. And I kind of was just like, never thought I'd be happy mm-hmm. that I just was like, well, you know, my mom doesn't even love me. Fuck it. Like I don't yeah. love myself. And then, you know, I eventually did get married and stuff and it was actually 4th of July last year. I like wrote down all my resentments that I have towards my, my mom mm-hmm. and I wrote them down and then I burned every single one of them. And mm-hmm. I kind of like, in like a morbid way, I kind of like, it was like her death to me, like, mm-hmm. cause she's never going to be back in my life. So I just kind of let go of all these resentments to get it out and just was like, all right, that's the end. Like, this is not going to control me anymore Yeah, because even while I've been sober, still sometimes I'm just like, I get trapped in like, oh, I don't have a mom type, like my mm-hmm. mom didn't love me thing. So like, it's hard not to feel like a victim. So now I just kind of see it as, okay, well, my mom was super shitty. And if she wasn't super shitty, I wouldn't be as inspired to be a good mom. Right. So now I use that and I'm like, 
she'll never yeah. feel that way. I'll ne- never let her feel like I'm going to hurt her. She'll yeah. never be scared of me. Yeah. So it's, it's a good thing. Cause now like my daughter's going to get a good mother. Yes. Yeah. It's really great that you can take that and look at that and turn it into a positive thing. And that's a thing too, I think about like having dealt with trauma and resentments, um, you know, and, and, and I know that we often want to tie things up in a neat little bow and have a happy ending, you know, but even if you get to a point, I think where you, you know, accept whatever your relationship is with your mother, like you're never going to always feel that way. You're always going to have those moments of feeling like sad and feeling like a victim, you know, and just like accept that. And like, you'll, you'll regress back to having those feelings, but you can always like move forward through them. You're never going to like get to a point where you're like, okay, now I'm never going to feel that way. I'm never going to think about my mom again. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's hard, especially like, when I see people with their moms or like when I hear people talking about like, Oh, I can't live without my mom. Like lucky bitch. And like, I get so like jealous. I always have since like elementary school when I would see people with their moms, like it just hurt me so much. And I used to just like resent people for having good moms. Yeah. But you know, I have a good dad and I just got to focus on the the good parts. And now I'm a good mom to my baby. So, right. So you obviously don't have a relationship with your mother anymore. Cause I know in the book, like you didn't, and then you actually moved to Florida and you moved in with her. Yes. And how, how was that? Because in the book, I didn't really see, I didn't really see a part where like that confrontation with your mom again after, how was that like seeing her again after not being, so she loves to act like nothing's like nothing happened. So she plays like the whole, like I'm the party mom. I'm the cool mom. Like we just act like everything's fine. And I kind of just like, so you guys never discussed it. No, Mm -hmm. no. There's a part in the book where I finally do confront my mom Mm -hmm. and I was just kind of like, let's stop playing the charade. All I need is you to just like, tell me that like you, like, that you did these things and you're sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, cause we just never talked about them. I remember once in therapy, they tried calling my mom on speaker and she hung up when like she realized what we were going to talk about. So she was just living and she didn't want to face what she did. And right. she's an alcoholic as well. Ah, uh, okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's hard. And it's just like, she's such, there's just so many things. Like I could spend like four days talking about all the bad things that yeah. she's done. And it's just because she doesn't want to seek help. I just know, and I know that's the person she'll always be. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's no point of me keep doing this like yo-yo back and forth, like trying, yeah. like I just keep wishing that she'll, you know, change and mm-hmm. love her kids, but it's just, it's yeah. not going to happen. So I just know. And I know like how, like she's such a violent abusive person that I could never, that's what I think of when I like start to like be like, well, maybe I could talk to her again. Yeah. I think about my daughter, like I don't want her raised how I was in like this violent household and right. like scared. Yeah. So I'm not going to put my daughter through that. Yeah. So at yeah. the end of the day, that's what makes it easy to like, just cut the tie. Cause she was never like a mother anyway. So it's just like this person who birthed me that's supposed to be the mom. She never was. And I just kept like, kept holding on to the fact maybe she'll one day she'll yeah. care. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, the good thing about getting older is that you get to choose your family. Yeah. So, like your husband and yeah. you, know, you get to make your own. Yeah. It's so and nice you, having my own little family now. Yeah. Um, so what was the hardest thing for you to write about in the book? Was it your relationship with your mom or was there something else? Um, I don't know. Like my abortion that I wrote about was really yeah, that hard. That was rough. But it's so funny because <laughs> like, 
I hear girls so many times in porn mm-hmm. just like talk about them like they're no big deal. Yeah, believe me, I I shot a girl once who was yeah she they're did proud, that. They're like haha about them, you know. Yeah, and to me it wasn't like that. It wasn't just like oh abortion joke or like it's just another abort. Like to me that was like such a traumatic thing. Like I don't know if it's because I've always wanted a baby too. Mm-hmm. Like I've always waited. I couldn't wait to be a mom one day. I mean, obviously, I wasn't in a position then. I was, like, broke. I was doing drugs and alcohol. Sounds and like you weren't with the right person either. No, no. Like it, I was not in a position to have a baby, but I, just, I was just so angry that I had to do that. And, like, I know a lot of people just, like, take it really lightly, but that was a really hard thing for me. Yeah. So yeah. writing that was was hard, and definitely, like, the cutting ties with my mother was hard, too. And then my abusive relationship, the one before my now husband. Right. That was hard to relive, too. Yeah. Um, now, one of the, like the crazy stories in there that that like really blew my mind was so okay. So you were camming first, and you were camming while you were living with your father. Yeah, I was still in high school. Right, and you were underage. Yes, I was seventeen. Yeah. Bad girl. Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I was a hustler. Yeah. Um. So, and you were getting like money from guys, and they were like PayPaling you money, and they knew you were underage, right? No, I told them I was eighteen. Okay, so they didn't know. Yeah. Okay, so it wasn't people who were like fetishizing about. No, like, I, I thought I was eighteen. Underage. Okay, and then some one of your fans tracked your IP address. Yeah, and then called your dad. Yeah, that was so embarrassing. So yeah, can dad. you tell us about that story? Because that is like. I was like, oh my God. So bad. So I would go on like those free campsites, like Camp 4 or whatever. Mm -hmm. You go on there and you can just like stream live and they don't have to check your age. Like if you go on my free cams, you can't do it without like an ID check and everything. Right. Because that's, you're not allowed to get naked on the free side. Is that correct? I think you can, but you're not making money off it. It's just like you get on there for free. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would go in there and then like lure the guys to my MSN messenger, like Mm -hmm. back when like messenger was like super cool. Oh yeah. I remember. (laughs) So I would be, so I would tell the guys that like, I'll get naked for you if you add me here. And then once they were there, I'd be like, okay, just send me this much on PayPal. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're already, like, wanting it. So they send me the money, and then I just do, like, a one-on-one cam show. Mm-hmm. And then I just would keep doing those and those. But while I was on um, the free site, that's where I think the guy must have gotten it from. Because then by the time my dad walked in on me, I was doing a one-on-one cam show. <laughs> so, like, I hate reliving this. Oh. And, like, you know, I'm doing my solo show with my toy. And we're, like, we live in a really old house. So yeah. there's there's no locks. Like, the house was made, like, hundreds of years ago. It's yeah. Old. And he just bust through and was just, like, get in my room. And I, I remember, like, flailing myself off the bed and, like, going on the floor and just, like, trying to cover myself, like, so humiliated. Oh, my God. And I did not, like, I did not want to have to go talk to him. And then he, like, repeated, the guy said, I'm watching your daughter fuck herself. And I was just, like, it was so awkward. And, like, that's about the time where I was, like, I want to move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do anything to move right now. I don't want to look at you in the eye. Yeah. How did he handle that? He, I mean, at this point... There were so many sexual things he already dealt with. Like, you know, I was I was seven the first time that he got like a phone call from someone's parents being like, your daughter had sex with this girl and my daughter was there and got scared. So like from, I remember he was, he'd sat me down. He's like, you will get arrested if you ever do that again. So yeah. I was so scared, but I was getting myself in a lot of sexual trouble. Right. My whole, like my whole life. So, right. I mean, I feel like honestly, like an he kind of wasn't shocked. Right. Like, it wasn't like, what are you doing? Like, it was just kind of like, 
you can't be doing this type of stuff. And like, they could show up at my house now. Like, so my dad was really worried because my two sisters still live there too. And he started worrying about everyone's safety. If they tracked the number, like, yeah. do they have the address? Is someone yeah. creepy going to show up? And yeah. that definitely really scared me too. Yeah. Um, it's crazy that like somebody like got off on calling your father. Yeah. And I'm <laughs> it's so bad. The poor guy that paid for that show too. <laughs> I, I just like slammed my laptop shut. I was so humiliated. Did you ever talk to him again? The guy no, was watching no, your show? No, all the guys were like one-time dudes. Right, right. Wow. Um, okay, so uh, you moved to Florida. You start camp- – so let's talk a little bit about um, your descent into addiction. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. So since I started dr- – I started drinking when in high school, mm-hmm. and every time I would, it was from the very first time I blacked out. Like, I didn't just, like, have a drink. Like, my friends would be making, like, little mixed drinks, you know, and, like, sipping on a drink. And I'm just chugging out the bottle of vodka, you know. That's all I wanted to do. And I just didn't stop until I was blacked out and Mm. didn't remember remember anything. And then when I moved to Florida, I start working in a strip club. And there's drugs. You know, it's a bigger city. And then the second I snorted Coke for the first time, I was just in love. Yeah. And then from there. That stuff makes you feel like superhuman. Yeah. It helps you drink longer too. I was going to say, whenever I get super <laughs> sloppy, you do some lines and yeah. you could just, I would use them to go back and forth so I could just last forever. Yeah. Help, help with the blackout. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I was just in love and that was just what my life like revolved around for mm-hmm. so many years, you know, through while I lived in Florida. And then when I came out here, that was the first thing I wanted when I came out here. I was like, okay, how am I going to get it? Mm-hmm. And so I would just ask every girl mm-hmm. and I was doing it very heavily out here. And, you know, I was having a lot of like health scares, especially when I was living in Florida and just like, I wanted to stop for so many years, but I just, I like couldn't for some reason. Like mm-hmm. I would have like little, like a month that I would like stop drinking and then I would relapse. And it was just really frustrating for years and years that going on. Were you trying to get sober on your own? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this, when I did get sober four and a half years ago, it was on my own. Mm-hmm. I never went to um, a rehab or a 12-step program. Mm-hmm. I actually just started going to 12-step programs maybe like two months ago. Because mm. I've had like four and four and a half years. I have four, about four and a half years now. And I just, I don't have any sober friends. Mm-hmm. And I started being like, am I getting too comfortable? Because like I can do it on my own. Like I did do it on my own that mo- amount of time. But I just started getting like this worried feeling that I needed like a support team. Mm -hmm. So now I have like a sponsor and I go to a bunch of meetings and that I wish I would have done that from the start. It would have been so much easier. It's nice to find a community of people who understand what it's like because it's really difficult to explain addiction and alcoholism to somebody who doesn't have it because it just seems like, well, why can't you just stop? Which like seems rational thing to ask, right? Like, Mm -hmm. why can't I just stop? You know, but um, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. Right. and I was never able to stop on my own. I tried. It was fucking impossible for me. So, like, kudos to you for actually being able to do that, you know, for a period of time. Yeah. I could not. And people at the meeting even ask me, they'll be after the meeting, they'll be like, how did you do it on your own? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, now looking back, I don't... I don't know. I just like really wanted it this time and I wanted to be able to be healthy and have a family 
And, you know, the gym really helped me because mm. I was like my new addiction. Yeah. So I kind of replaced my addiction. I have such I an addictive personality. Oh, I, girl, I totally <laughs> understand. Um, I am the same way. I actually find now that my addiction, I was going to ask you how your addiction manifests itself now because mm-hmm. it's always there. It's oh, something sure. that we're always fighting. And for me right now, it's totally food and really? especially sugar. Oh, yeah. I found, I had to talk, I was talking to my sponsor the other day. I found that like I've started. So one thing I used to always do was I always used to drink in the bath, right? Because like that was a place that I could go and be like private. It was my me time. I had an excuse to lock the door. Totally. You know what I mean? And also too, like having, you know, it sounds sophisticated, like having a glass of wine and a bubble bath and a book look. Like that sounds so sophisticated, right? So in my head, that's what I'm thinking I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm going in there and I'm hiding the bottle of vodka under the sink and I'm doing fucking (laughs) pounding vodka in the bathtub. And then I'm like passing out in the bath and almost pulling a Whitney Houston and my boyfriend's breaking down the door and like having to pull me out. Happened to me twice. So, um, so yeah, so the bathtub is like, it's almost kind of like a trigger place for me, I think. And I still take baths because like, it's a good way for me to unwind. I still really enjoy like reading a book and like disconnecting, but I found recently that I've started like hiding. I just, I don't mean to, but like, I'll take like little like sugar snacks in there (laughs) and I find myself hiding it. Did you see what I posted on Twitter last week? Uh-uh. I posted a picture of me in the bath eating pie. <laughs> I ate pie in the bath the other day. I was eating apple pie in the bath by myself and I posted a picture on Twitter of yeah. it. That's so funny. I totally do it. And like, I'll find, like, if my boyfriend like is coming upstairs, I find like just <laughs> not even thinking about it, me like hiding, Being sneaky, hiding it. And mm-hmm. it's just like, it's, it's so crazy how it's like manifesting itself in that way. And then I find myself, even if I'm not hungry, like, yeah yeah I can feel that because of like my eating disorders like I would obsess the food like that so I kind of Mm -hmm. went through that stuff too it's funny I think my um addiction now is kind of like fan central (laughs) (laughs) which is good because I'm making so much yeah I was gonna say that's actually kind of a good addiction to have because I like refresh the page where am I on like the little like top am I on the top 10 right now and then you know like how I'm refreshing the money and I have like a goal every day if I want to hit this much amount of money and like I want to hit this much for the whole month Mm -hmm. and like I try to hit those numbers so this is like way better than you know doing drugs yeah but it's still there yeah Yeah, it's still that obsessive um behavior Mm -hmm. and it's like we'll never conquer it we just have to try to channel it into more healthy alternatives and try to manage it the best we can I think I totally do like my house being clean as hell too Mm. that's one thing I do like my house has to be super clean yeah that's like another way I think I take out like my my weird little things that I have to do I it's I'm I clean too but I'm not like as clean as I would like to be um also too it doesn't help my boyfriend leaves everything fucking everywhere I know that um but I mean my house is my house is clean but like it's not you know but sometimes like if especially if I'm stressed out I'll like look around my house and I'll be like this place is a fucking mess and I'll just like flip out you know be so angry same I'm glad I'm not alone no I get like really mad and then I start like angrily picking up stuff or I'll like angrily vacuum (laughs) and my boyfriend's like I'm gonna go hide same same she's going crazy I know my husband's like if it's not like a a museum you're all mad I'm like yes I want it clean yeah well I mean you know all we can do is try to manage our demons they'll never go away um, so let's talk about, um, let's talk about your, okay. So you've had a suicide attempt yeah. too. 
Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Because um, that's been something that's been kind of plaguing our industry. Definitely. Lately. And I, I actually just wrote an article, which was my very first article I ever wrote for XBiz, and it oh, was wow. on mental health. Mm-hmm. And um, just kind of how I, I deal with um, like the two lives that you have in porn. Mm. So, I mean, for... I didn't really have two lives until I, you know, have a baby now. But now I'm like two different people, so it's yeah. it's hard for me to separate them. So I had to get like two phones, like so one's an Amber phone, one's a Carmen phone, and mm. like I really had to separate my lives. But um, uh, the suicide attempt happened when I was a dancer in Florida, mm-hmm. and it was just I've always been suicidal since I was like fourteen, mm-hmm. um, fourteen until I was probably like twenty five, and um. It just one, like, I was just doing so many drugs, and then I started mixing pills. I started doing pills, which I usually don't do. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that, and then I was just, I was working at the strip club one night, and I just decided that I was going to leave and kill myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to Walgreens. I did this at Walgreens in the parking lot, and, like, outside the garbage, I was, like, just started eating all the sleeping pills. And um, the guy that drove me there, who was my ex, just like I started foaming in the mouth and like shaking. And then he, I don't remember being rushed to the ER, Yeah, but I woke up there and well, I was 51 50. Mm-hmm. So I was held and I woke up and I, I had no memory of like, I had really had to take a while. Like it was so foggy for me, like what happened, but I was in a room with literally nothing on the walls. I had my, like my nipples pierced at the time and like my lip pierced and all my piercings were removed and I was, like, in this gown, and there was just, like, a glass door, and I was just, like, beating on the door trying to, like, ask, and I was just stuck in there. Like, yeah. the cop was like, you can't leave. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they told me that, you know, when I when they got me, like, conscious, that I, I was just saying stuff like, they were asking, like, why did you do this? And I was just like, my mom doesn't love me. My mom doesn't love me. Right. And I have no memory of that, but they told when they told me that, I was like, that's when I was like, damn, this really is affecting me, like. You know, like my therapist for I started going to therapy when I was six because <laughs> of her, and um, they always were kind of like saying like you just gotta trying to help me like mend the mommy issues, you know? Yeah. And um, I just never could, and I feel like I just kind of sat in that for so long. But I, I was just at a place like there was nothing really big that just made me do that. It was just kind of like I feel like this is gonna be my life forever. I'm not happy. I don't see my life ever going any where I was like so sick and tired of being addicted to drugs to like to that feeling of hopelessness. Yeah. It's just never exhausting. being able to get out of that. So I, mm-hmm. I it's just so exhausting. Like the, the panic I would feel every time the bag would run out and just like being, I was homeless for a while and selling drugs with my ex. And we were just like living in people's houses that were out of town. And like the whole, it was just not, it was like fun at first. And then it was just, not fun at all anymore. And like, I didn't want to be doing Coke, but I was obsessed with it. And I just felt like it was this never ending cycle. And I just felt like I would never be happy. So I just decided to do it, but it wasn't like it was like some new thought. Mm-hmm. It was always like, I never cared if I died type of deal. Right, right. So in that moment I was just like, well, fuck it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I, after that I was like, okay, I really need to get sober. And it lasted like a week maybe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I was back to doing drugs again. So it just, and that's like one thing that was really hard is nothing. Like every time I thought I hit rock bottom, I just didn't like I I did. It wasn't enough. Nothing was enough. Like two weeks before my suicide attempt, I had um, two back to back seizures after like a huge drug binge. And 
I was still doing drugs the next day. I was like, oh, must have been because I snorted Molly too. Like, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't the cocaine. Like, right. It wasn't right. that. So it's just like, I, no matter how low I hit, it wouldn't be enough. And it was so frustrating that I was like giving up on myself like all these years. Yeah. They say you, uh, you hit your bottom when you stop digging. Mm, that could be, uh, you know, uh-huh. it's like, I mean, you can always go lower. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's really hard. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. But I mean, now, like, that's actually how I met my best friend now. Like, when I see girls on Twitter that are, you know, because Twitter is such an outlet for gr- these girls to say whatever they want. So whenever I see someone suicidal now, like, I'm just trying to, like, swoop in and be like, yeah. I promise you, like, I was like, I felt like life would never get better. Like, yeah. when I'm at the end of my book, I'm kind of, like, looking back and kind of like I wish I could tell myself then like how I'm gonna be a mom one day I'm gonna be a mom and a wife like no way like I never thought anyone would want to marry me like I just just figured it wasn't in the cards for me yeah so that's what I tell everyone like they'll be like oh you know I don't no one loves me this like you can change your life Mm -hmm. if you like are really committed you can change your whole life around I feel like I I gotta live two lives like that the person in that book like is not me Right. You know, it's just two different lives and it almost feels like that's just like a made up story. It's it's insane to me that that really happened. Yeah, I, I know. It's so crazy. <laughs> I know. I know exactly what you mean. You know, what was interesting for me was because, um, you know, I got sober in 2008. I was sober for seven years and then I right. relapsed and then I right. just got a year. And like the frustrating thing, it was almost more frustrating for me to trying to get sober again after having been sober for so long was because like I knew it was in the other side like I knew how much better my life could be I knew that I could be happy I knew that I could live a sober life and feel like fulfilled and like have a good time and laugh again and you know what I mean before I got sober the first time I couldn't imagine what life without alcohol was like I was like Mm -hmm. that can't possibly be fun so right you think you're gonna be boring boring and and like how can I travel to Italy without having you know wine how can I like get married and not like have champagne at my you know Mm -hmm. for the toast like all that kind of stuff so it was almost like more frustrating trying to get sober again knowing how much better life was and like still not being able to get there and not being able to break the cycle that was like intensely frustrating it's so scary to me that's kind of why I sought out this the AA program mm-hmm. and the CA program is because I hear these girls all the time like a performer I think she had like however many years and she just relapsed without even like she said she didn't really even think about it she just mm-hmm. had a needle in her arm mm-hmm. and like it you, creeps up on you yeah and you say like you had seven years that started terrifying me I'm like my husband's like no it won't happen to you I'm like how do you know like we're yeah. all addicts yeah like I don't want to just one day just slip up like so I started getting really worried about it and that's why I sought out the program mm-hmm. and like I'm I'm just gonna stay in this program and as long as I have a sponsor and everything like hopefully it'll be good but it's scary like I don't want to ever be like that again yeah yeah it is scary and what's scary is that you know, even though you don't want it, it can still like come back and right. fucking bite you in the ass. Right. It's fucking bizarre. And it can come out of nowhere. Mine was an accident what? that ended up being like that. Did you accidentally me. drink someone's drink? No. So what happened was I was in Costa Rica and um, I went to this, I was on a job machine for twisties. Oh. Um, and we had rented out these um, locations like from this like really wealthy, like oil baron from Texas who moved there and like bought all these amazing houses. And so anyways, through some connections, I found him and he rented us out these like amazing houses to shoot in. And, um, you know, it was like a thank you. Um, I, 
he actually like organized a little party and I brought like some of the models um, that were, I was working with to the party you know, that kind of thing. And like a little meet and great, right. very innocent. And he had it catered. Um, like I said, he had a fuck ton of money. And there was uh, this dessert table. And again, like it was professionally catered. Like these people were wearing like white suits. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Like they do. And and I had this like little dessert that I remember at the time kind of tasted like weed to me. Oh, and no. I was like, this sort of tastes like weed. And um, my makeup artist, everyone that I went with was a huge stoner. Right. So, like, no, no, not everybody even had the dessert that I had. But my makeup artist tried it. She's like, I don't know. I don't taste anything. And she was a big stoner. And yeah. I was like, okay, I must be crazy. And then um, and then I felt it. And it wasn't all that strong. Right. Um, but for somebody who hadn't had anything in their system for seven mm. years, it definitely got me. So um, we went back to the hotel. I called my sober sister and I was like, I accidentally ate an edible. I didn't know, like, and she was like, it's okay. You didn't lose your time. Like, when you come back, just, you know, we'll go to meetings. Everything will be fine. I'm right. like, okay. And I hung up and I, I, I got the case of the fuckets because I didn't have, like, I wasn't yeah. really going to meetings anymore because I thought, like, I got this. Mm-hmm. I don't really need this program anymore. It's like such a you know, I mm-hmm. fucking go to meetings, mm-hmm. different hours. Sometimes people are really boring. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go. I got other things to do. So, um, <clears throat> so I didn't have like a strong program. And, uh, and I hung up the phone with her and I went and smoked a joint because we'd weed out everywhere. Cause like I said, everyone there right. was a stoner. Nobody knew. Everyone had fallen asleep. So I just like found it. And cause I got a case of the fuck it. So I was like, well, it's already in my system. That's it exactly may as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, um, now, after that, I didn't touch anything for months. Okay. Like months went by and I didn't tell anybody either, right? Because I was like, if right. I don't tell anyone, then it's kind of like my secret, whatever. Yeah. And um, I'm of the firm belief that the universe likes to put things in front of you until like you deal with that. So like yeah. whatever issues, cons- you know, problems that you have, um, character defects. And uh, I was shooting and I know we've never shot together, but normally when I work with girls, I give them a robe to put on in the makeup chair, and then I, I wash them after each shoot. So I was washing um, robes from a shoot, and uh, I reached into the pocket, you know, make sure there's something in there, and there was a huge bag of weed in there that a model had left in there. Oh my and I remember, like, pulling out that bag of weed and looking at it, and literally the first th- thought in my head was, God wants you to smoke this. <laughs> Not can you turn it down. Like, no. God must want me like, to be a stoner. Literally, like, and pot was my other thing. Like, I right. loved weed, loved vodka, loved weed, loved vodka. Mm-hmm. And so I smoked it, and then I found other excuses to keep smoking, and then um, eventually weed wasn't enough, and I was back to drinking, and it was like, mm. so it was like a weird yeah. accident that slowly snowballed into me back right. to drinking again. So it was like, that's what I say when, like, I say it's fucking tricky. Right. Like, it was a weird, slow relapse. It's like when people think, like, oh, like, people will be like, I can just smoke weed. Yeah. You know, like, or people will be like, I'll just drink wine now. Yeah. Like, it just never happens like that. Your addiction just kicks in at some point. Right. Exactly. And um, for me, what I realized was it wasn't even so much that, um, you know, it wasn't what I was consuming. It was the desire to get out of my head. Mm. And the desire to not be in reality. And the desire to, that's all it was. It doesn't matter what the substance is. That's why, like, you know, um, I, alcoholics, drug addicts, like, we're all at our core, we're the same. We use substances to, like, check out. 
Yeah, I love that. I could just not have to deal with whatever I'm dealing with. I'm just right. going to black out now and I don't right. think about it. I just don't want to be in reality. I don't want to deal with my emotions. I don't want to deal with these stresses. I'm going to take this and I'm going to have it transport me to another place. And I'm going to continue to do that on a consistent basis every fucking day, all the time, because I don't ever want to have to deal with this stuff. Yeah, that's what I would do too. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to take a break and have a word from our sponsors. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, we'll be right back. Today's episode of Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by Care of Vitamins. Summer is coming and this season make health and wellness a priority. Of course, there's the basics to maintaining a healthy lifestyle, exercise, diet, sleep, but are you also making sure that you're getting the right vitamins? I don't mean a generic one-size-fits-all multivitamin that you grab off the store shelves. I'm talking about a specific set of vitamins tailored to your individual needs. That's why the only vitamins I take are from Care Of. If you're a busy person like me, there's a lot of things that can get in the way of getting your daily vitamin needs that are so crucial to your health. First of all, I don't have the time or desire to do tons of research to find out exactly what vitamins I need. Secondly, I really don't want to waste time wandering the aisles of my local vitamin store unsure of what to buy. And third, I'm really bad at sitting down to unpack all of these different vitamins from a multitude of bottles and organize them into a week's worth of supplements. This is why I am so happy I found Care of Vitamins. Care of makes getting your daily nutritional needs so easy. All you have to do is go online to takecareof.com and take their easy five-minute quiz, which will ask you questions about your diet, exercise habits, sleep routine, and so on. Do you feel sluggish, have digestion issues, or maybe have trouble sleeping? Care Of will help you pinpoint whatever it is that plagues you and come up with a custom vitamin package just for you. The vitamins are shipped right to your door and you get this nifty little standing box that easily dispenses your daily packet of vitamins, which you can just slip into your purse or pocket on your way out the door. The best part is these little packets are made of biodegradable, compostable materials, so they are environmentally conscious as well as being incredibly convenient. These vitamins truly do make a difference in my day, especially on long shoots where I'm working overtime. And if a subscription service makes you nervous, just know that you can pause or cancel your deliveries at any time directly on the website. So do something good for your body and see what a difference getting the right supplements can make in your life. Go to takecareof.com and use code HOLLY25 for 25% off your first order. That's takecareof.com and use code HOLLY25, H-O-L-L-Y-2-5 for 25% off your first order. Take care of your body with Care of Vitamins. We're back. Um, during the break, we started talking about triggers, and Ernie just thought we were just going for it. But <laughs> I have to, like, officially announce that we're You're talking back. about this again. Um, okay, so oh, that was a lot of talk about alcohol and drugs. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about you getting into porn. Yeah. So how did that go? Your first um, shoot was with Joanna Angel, right? Yes. That's a pretty cool experience. Yes, I love Joanna. So I was I was emailing her. I think we went back and forth like three separate times. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to come. And then I would just get so scared. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not coming anymore. And we did that a couple times. And then finally I was like, okay, for real, I think I'm ready. Let's do this. And so I flew out here and 
I was just like instantly in love with porn. Like everything about it, I just loved. I love everything. Mm-hmm. And when I shot my first scene, like I was hooked. And I remember like I was so nervous because Joanna actually watched my first scene. So she wasn't shooting it or anything, but she was sitting back on table. I remember she was just sitting at a table watching. And <laughs> that it was must my, have been intimidating. I know. I was like, oh my God, now I have to do good. And, mm-hmm. and I remember like they, them telling me it's going to be a half hour scene. And I was like, half hour? Because, you know, in real life, like, yeah. my sex was, like, maybe, like, five drunken minutes of sex or yes. something. So I'm like, what do I do for that amount of time? Like, I don't know, like, the porn positions or yeah. anything. So we start when we Who started. Who were you working like, with? Uh, Danny Wilds, which he's, okay. he's out now. But that yeah, was the I, rem- I remember him. Yeah. So he, yeah. Was, he was super cool. He was good. Yeah, and I just was, like, shaking. Like, it was so – I've never shaken like that in my life. Like, through mm-hmm. the tease, like, I was just, like, my hands are shaking. But then as soon as, like, his dick went in my mouth, I was, like, <laughs> game on. Like, I, that's what happens every time. It was, like, the time. key in the lock. Yes. <laughs> every shoot, like, as if I'm ever nervous, like, as soon as I start blowjob, I'm, like, oh, I'm a bad bitch. I got this yes. shit. Like, <laughs> I'm, like, my nerves go away. So I, like, rocked my first my first shoot. And Joanna was, like, are you sure this is, like, your first – for a shoot. And I was like, yes, I love it. And like, from then I was just like, oh, I totally need to get an agent. Come out here. Yeah. So then I was like hooked right away. I was like, this is made for me. Can we talk about the best line in the book? Oh God. Fuck, let me find it. Hold on. Is it here? Um, oh yeah, here we go. Um, <laughs> this is, this is my favorite line. <laughs> um, here we go. Uh, okay. And actually this is directly linked to Joanna Angels, uh, what she said. Are you sure this is your first time shooting? Joanna asked me. I knew I was going to love doing porn, but I had no idea I would be such a natural at it. This is the line. I grabbed a baby wipe like I had seen the other girls do yesterday and wiped the cum off my face, but there was no wiping off the smile. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so I great. thought it was I thought it was gonna be the line where I was like, Well, some people are good at being a doctor, some people are good at being a whore. So. <laughs> no, I love like the you couldn't wipe. That was I thought that was genius. Thank you. Very funny. No, I had I put a lot into that book. Like I it was really nice to read and like writing it because on social media, obviously like we're very open as like performers. Mm-hmm. So like I have a, a strong female um, following that that's like sober. Yeah. That's so, like great. surprisingly like, like trying to be sober. So it's, it's actually cool when you talk about like being like the, all that stuff on social media. Like when I talked about getting a year, like so many people who wrote back to me right? and people also privately contacted me about either being sober or attempting to get there you forget like it affects it's so a huge many people. issue it's yeah, a huge it's a issue, issue and it's like not a sexy thing to talk about right. so like as porn stars you don't really want to say that but i've been super open about it like this entire time yeah but since this book came out i've had people like writing they're like oh i just went to my first meeting and i'm actually gonna get sober because of you and it's just like it's so it's so cool that and that's what makes me know like okay you know like it was hard to go through everything I did, but I'm happy mm-hmm. because now people are literally reading my book and they're saying they're going to get sober. Like that's, that's insane to me. Like, if you can just change one person's life, that's all. Yes. You need, that's you know? all I wanted. I was like, and getting sober. Help. If you're like a true alcoholic or drug addict, getting sober fucking changes your life. Yeah. It's it, everything for sure. Like it's a whole nother, like a whole nother life. Like everything is different. Yes. But it's just crazy now that this is out and just seeing the response from people. It's just. You must be really proud. Yeah. My whole life, I was always like the bad girl. Like no Mm -hmm. one wanted their, like their parents were like, stay away from her. You know, I was always the bad influence. I was like the worst out of like all of like the strippers. Like I was Mm -hmm. the worst one, like with addiction wise and like drinking and how I acted. 
And never in my life did I think I would inspire someone to be anything positive. Yeah. Like ever. Yeah. So this is just like, it's super cool. It's super, as much as I love porn, it's cool that I have something I did that's not with my body. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like I, oh, totally. I wrote, I wrote it. Like, even though I love doing porn, like it is cool. Like, okay, I can do something else too. Yes. Yeah. So that was a good feeling. Yeah. Because I think also too, like the world sees porn stars as being very one dimensional. Right. Because that's all they equate you with, you know, like, Oh, you're a porn star. You have sex for a living. You are this kind of person and that's all you can do. And you chose that career because you have no other skills. You mm-hmm. have no other opportunities. That's like the, the mentality of so many people. So I, I totally understand what you mean when you say like, it's really great to be recognized for something else Yeah, to show that you are a multifaceted, multidimensional person. Yeah. And it's like, if I ever mention, I, I really try to keep my personal and my like Carmen life completely separate. Mm -hmm. So like, if you went on my personal (laughs) social media, it's all about my daughter. Like that's all I talk about, but I don't put a word about it on Twitter because people are creepy. Yeah. And like anytime I post anything like that, like even talk, I will never post a picture of her on there. But Mm -hmm. like, if I talk about her all, there's just terrible comments. Like, you know, people think that just because you do that, you can't be married. Mm-hmm. You can't have kids. Like, you have to just, all you want is sex all the time. Yeah. And, like, it's it's our job. And, like, I am a sexual person. But it's it's crazy how so many people watch porn. That's, it's, like, the biggest demand. Like, mm-hmm. of I remember seeing this thing of, like, how long it took all these different sites to get, like, 500 million views or something. And it was, like, YouTube and Pornhub and Pornhub would, like, took so quick to get all those views. You yeah. know, everyone watches porn, most people. But everyone wants to talk shit about porn stars. Mm-hmm. The people that they're jacking off to every mm-hmm. single day. Mm-hmm. But they want to talk down to us when they're the one watching us. Yeah. So it's so frustrating. And they just see us as, like, this this fantasy on a computer and that we don't have another life. And that's like, I'm like already itching to write another book. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to like, in some way get across the point of that porn stars are people Mm -hmm. and maybe like dig into like how, like the double life that I have to live Mm -hmm. and like the stigma that, you know, it's so hard as like a performer when someone like you're getting your nails done. Oh, what do you do for work? Like, it's just cause you know, people are going to look down upon it. So it's frustrating when even though I'm not ashamed of what I do, it's hard to tell people what I do because I know they're going to judge me. Well, the thing is, I think that a lot of people who look down on porn stars and who have that idea about the porn industry are people who generally have hangups about their own sexuality and are ashamed of masturbation, are ashamed of um, sex. Right. And so they project that feeling onto you. You know, like so many people have an unhealthy relationship with sex because I mean, so many reasons, lack of sexual education and just the way that society in general is so fearful of sexuality, especially female sexuality. Because you never really see people go, you know, like after, you know, saving male porn stars, right? Totally true. It's always about women. And like this, I bet the same guys who are like looking down on these girls and saying that are like loving the, wishing they were these male porn stars, you know, it's... It's always it's, like that. It's like cool. And it just goes back to like the old sexist, like double standard. You know, if you're a guy, if you fuck a bunch of broads, like you're a stud. Mm-hmm. If you're a girl and you fuck a bunch of guys, you're a slut. Yeah. You know, like it's just like, it, and it's just, per, it's projected in the way that people see porn and see sex. But, you know, I mean, I think people like you writing these kinds of books and, you know, showing who you are and, and hopefully things like this podcast and stuff. I mean, we're here to change people's mind yeah. about how they see porn and about how they see sex. And I feel like I see changes. It's going to take a while. We have to, 
you know, a couple generations. Gotta I like, breed the stigma out of yeah, people, you know? Yeah, I like that. Um, like mental health in our industry is being like a thing now. I like, yes. I like that. And I feel like that's going to help normalize some things maybe. I and agree. I feel like... Like my biggest worry is what, like what my daughter obviously will think. Mm-hmm. That's like my biggest thing. Like, but can I ask you how old she is? She's two and a half. Okay, so she's still at an age where like you don't need to have that discussion. No, yet. no, no. She would have no idea what I'm saying. Right, right, right. But like eventually, you know, it's gonna have to happen. I'm just like praying that things are gonna be more normalized. Like so many people do watch porn. Like I feel like it's not really normalized. But mm-hmm. I'm hoping like as the way it seems like how like being gay was even, I feel like even mm-hmm. in a few years, it just, it's just like such normal, like people, there's like pride and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I see, um, the sexual movement. What is it? The sex workers day, yeah. you know? And I, whenever I see that, I'm like, oh, Slut I, walk. I, yeah, yeah. So things like that. I'm just like hoping that sex work is like less looked down upon mm-hmm. by then because we're going to raise her, me and my husband to, to be like sex positive. Like we mm-hmm. don't, we're not going to be like, Oh, go have sex. You know, like yeah. we're going to do it in like a parental way, but I don't want her to be ashamed and I don't want her to have to hide things from me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just hoping that she doesn't judge me for everything. You know, I'm just hoping as long as I'm a good mom that it won't matter. I think, I think you're going to be fine. And I can tell you from like a little bit of experience. I mean, I know my mom never performed in porn videos or anything, but my parents made porn. Right. They did since before I was born. And they raised me and my brother and my sister, you know, with this idea that sex is not shameful. Women's bodies are beautiful. People should, you know, be able to do whatever they want to do. And the very like non-judgmental view. And, you know, kids are kids generally see the world the way that their parents do, you know? I mean, it's like there are, my worldview is very much reflected in how I was raised. I mean, as a kind of counter example, look at like the way that your mom was, look how that affected you in the long run. Like the way that you raise your daughter and if you just love her and just teach her to be a good person, I think you're going to be fine. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I found all these old interviews of my mom um, back before I was born. And so my mom, um, I don't know how much you know about her, but um, so she, you know, produced adult films and she was yeah. a big uh, adult photographer. And she um, actually started off her career. She was the first female staff photographer at Playboy. Oh, so she I worked, didn't know that. Yeah. So she started off at Playboy and her and my dad were swingers and they used to like bang everybody. No. Oh yeah. I love my mom has that. slept with like all kinds of random celebrities. Oh like, my God. At the mansion, like um, Warren Beatty, Jack Nicholson, Bill Cosby. No. Swear to God of her own volition. Yeah. He did not rape <laughs> right. her. She That's what I like my her, brain thought right away. She, it was her decision, but my mom, she slept with, I mean, it was like free love, you know, oh my they God. went to orgy parties together. I mean, all that stuff. That's so cool. So, um, so she wrote this book, this very like kind of scandalous tell-all book called Suze and about her like time at the Playboy Mansion and just like becoming like, you know, the like first like kind of female, um, you know, pornographer really. Like, oh, being I want to read that. So unusual, especially at the time. And she went on this press tour and she did this interview um, for a current affair in Australia. And it was really, it's so interesting for me to see this now because like I said, this was literally like almost exactly a year before I was born. So she got pregnant with me, like kind of right after she did this press tour and I'm the first child. And, uh, the interviewer was, you know, obviously this kind of like, you know, it was a man, he was very manly and he was, um, 
it was clearly like kind of sexist. And yeah. he said to her, he was like, what kind of mother are you going to be? You know, what are you mm-hmm. going to teach your children? Like, you know, you've written this scandalous book and you've slept with all of these people and you shoot nudes for a living and you, you know, you do, por- you know, you shoot porn. My mom, I think, worked for Hustler at the time. And he's like, what are your children going to think? You know, What'd like, say? and she said, um, my children are going to, I'm going to teach my children what any good mother would teach their children. I'm going to teach them about respecting people. I'm going to teach them about like being accountable. I'm going to teach them basically to be good people. Right. And she goes, and you know, and another thing that he said was, well, what are your grandchildren going to think? And she goes, my grandkids aren't going to give a Damn. She said by then society would have progressed to a point that people won't be so hung up about sex. My grandchildren won't give a shit what their <laughs> granny did back when she was 20 having lots of fun. Yeah. And, you know, That's and so cool. the way that he was like so accusatory in the way that my mom defended herself and just looking at like the world now and how she was so right. It was, right. she was so prophetic. She was so prophetic at the moment without realizing it because society has changed so much. Yeah. And um, she doesn't have grandkids. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Working on it. Um, but, uh, you know, my brother and sister and I, like, we love our parents. I don't care that my mom was a swinger and slept with all these people and that my parents went to orgy parties and that she actually shot herself for Playboy and Hustler, um, that they did porn. I mean, clearly I work in porn, so clearly right. I don't care that she did that. See, um, I hope it ends up like that. Yeah. So, you know, like, I love them. They were great parents to me. You know, they – I had a great childhood. Like awesome. absolutely not affected. I don't think in any negative way by what I feel my like parents that's so did for rare living. Nowadays. It and you know my brother and sister. My brother's a lawyer. My sister's a nurse. So like I'm the only one who ended up in the adult industry. And we're all like, besides me and my obvious like addiction, <laughs> we're all like pretty fucking normal people. Yeah, you know. So my long story short, I think you're going to be fine. Yeah, I love her. She's my whole world. So like, the only thing I worry about is like kids being mean but they're gonna be mean regardless you know that's the thing and a teacher would be a strong ass bitch yeah she's gonna be fine (laughs) and i think you're right too i think um perspectives are changing yeah i mean studies have shown that you know the younger generation is not nearly as um caught up and stigmatized against porn as as the older generation was especially with like cell phones they're seeing all this stuff it's so normal which is like could be good but it could be bad i think that we need to couple the fact with that porn is so accessible to young people with proper sex education which yeah we're not doing and that's a legislative thing Mm -hmm. but you know yeah i just want to teach her like every like you know because they don't teach that stuff in school they Mm kind of just say like this is how it works yeah that's all (laughs) yeah so like i I want my daughter when it is appropriate like to feel comfortable talking to me about all the stuff that she needs to yeah you know what i just occurred to me um and i don't think it exists but actually i did think i I saw apac posted something about doing some kind of like i don't know seminar or something on it was there should be like a support group for parents who work in porn i would love that like one of my best friends is a mom now too yeah. megan rain yeah. yeah yeah so and like our kids are kind of close in age but i love that yeah i love that we there's a lot of moms in porn and See, I, don't, um, I never know because no one really you don't put that out there as yeah. like that so i don't really know them all but when I do find one out, I'm like, yeah, you're a mommy too. Yeah. I think, um, I think that'd be like a really positive thing because I think there's a lot of moms out there who are worried about like how their children are going to like deal with this and how mm-hmm. they're going to, um, accept it. And I just feel like that would be a really good support group to have. I would love that. We need to actually make that a thing because 
I feel like especially as like your kids grow up, yeah. like that's when we're going to need each other to be yeah. like, how are you handling this? You exactly. Know? Exactly. That's why I'm happy. Like I have Megan as like a friend. So we're both right. mommies. We're like, we're going to go through this together. Yeah. We'll put our kids together. They'll be best friends and they'll yeah. conquer the world together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's your new project. Mm-hmm. I just gave it to you. Right. I just, I just decided that you're the chairperson. Awesome. You're going to make it happen. That'd be super cool though. <laughs> it would be. Yeah. I think it's a good idea. So, um, Thank you so much for coming on. Of course. I wanted to. I was so happy. Of course. And thank you for being so like open about everything, not only just in this interview, but with your book too. I think it's, and you know, I think you have a strong message for people. Thank you. And I think it's people like you that, you know, make, make a difference, make a difference in this world. I feel like I am and it's it's crazy because I never would have thought that like mm-hmm. when people say like be the change you want to see in this world yeah. I used to be like oh bullshit no one can change anything yeah. back you know, in my my addict days and now having this book it kind of like really has made my world like something like click in my head I don't know just like seeing all this feedback come back and my messages like I can't keep up with all of my emails and messages about my mm-hmm. book and it's just like wh- I couldn't believe that I even got my book published. I feel like it sounds to me like it's given you like a sense of value that like you maybe didn't have before, like a really concrete, like something that, that means something. Right. Like it's cool. Like I love when I like help marriages when they like watch Mm -hmm. porn together and stuff like that. But this is like a whole nother thing. Like people potentially could save someone's life, like their health, their everything. So like seeing that just by saying what I went through could help someone like that is like Mm -hmm. the craziest, like, the most amazing feeling that I feel like I could ever feel. And think that it comes from a place where you were in so much pain. Right. So it was, that's what I say. It, it all worked out perfect. Sure did. So can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and if you have any other websites or anything you want to plug? Yes. So my Twitter is at Carmen Karma and Carmen spelt with a K. Mm-hmm. And my Instagram, when it's not disabled, is <laughs> at it's Carmen Karma. Mm-hmm. And then my premium Snapchat, which I'm obsessed with and I'm on it 24-7, is snapcarmen.com. And then my website is itscarmenkarma.com. And I feel like I just realized that we never mentioned the name of your book. Oh my gosh. In this whole fucking interview. So her book is Overcome by Carmen Karma. And I assume people can get that on Amazon. Yeah. If you just search even my name just on Amazon, it should pop up. And it's a number one bestseller on Audible, Amazon, and um, what's the other one? Oh, the ebook, the Kindle version. Like, oh, okay. So, like, Which all is three. As well. Yeah. So, all three of them all have like the number one bestseller next to it. And it's like oh my the craziest God, feeling. So crazy. I actually didn't know that you did an audible version of it. Yeah. That was way harder than writing it. Oh, because it's you reading it. Yeah. So, like, writing it, I didn't I wish have to I had say fucking known that. I probably could have actually listened read to it more all. of it. Yeah. Read more of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, that was super hard because there's just like, two strangers behind glass and you just have to say all this stuff out loud and yeah. it's like, sorry, y'all, you're going to have to hear all of this. Yeah. You had to process it like twice in the written word and then the spoken word as yeah. well. Yeah. But it's been super healing. Yeah. Of I've, course. This whole process is super cool. And I'm just like, now I want to write more. Like I'm so inspired by the, like the reaction that the public has. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, I feel like you have a purpose. Thank you. Not that you didn't before, but even more so now. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again, Carmen, for coming on. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. And then, of course, you guys all know you can follow me at Holly Randall on um, Instagram and on Twitter. And we will see you guys next week. Bye.
Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. If you like my podcast, please make sure to give me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It helps me a lot. If you're not listening to me on the iTunes platform, then you can support me in so many other ways. Um, first of all, obviously, I would love it if you would join my Patreon. That's patreon.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered, where not only will all of the donations that I get go towards making this podcast better, but also I offer really, really cool perks in exchange for your support. Um don't forget that I have a new podcast called My LA Porn Job that I am doing with my assistant, Eva, and it is fucking hilarious. And it is available only on my Patreon for only $5 a month. So that's pretty, pretty cheap. And I promise we will make you laugh and we'll give you even more insight into this fascinating business that I work in. You can also join my Facebook group. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash Holly Randall Unfiltered to get access to other exclusive news about the podcast as well as just join our community. Don't forget too that I videotape all of my podcast interviews and you can access all of those at my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash C slash Holly Randall Unfiltered. You can also email us hollyrandallunfiltered at gmail.com. Or if you want to leave a voicemail to maybe ask a question for one of my upcoming guests or just leave a comment or tell us a crazy story or anything that you want to say, you can call us at 424-216-6967. So please send us an email, leave us a Facebook message, leave us a Patreon message, um, leave us a voicemail, and we will maybe get back to you on the show, um, especially the new podcast that I'm doing with Eva, My LA Porn Job. We'll definitely be uh, responding to some of your messages. And overall, we just want to hear back from you guys, want to know how we're doing, what you love about the show, what you hate about the show, who you want to listen to, All of that feedback is super valuable to help me make this show the best that it can be. One last piece of news. I plan on going to the 2020 AVN convention in Las Vegas, and I'm going to bring you this podcast live from the show floor. So that's another reason why I need your financial support, because that's going to be a very expensive trip for me. And um, I'm definitely not making the kind of income from the show yet to cover it, which is fine, but I hope to eventually get there one day. And with your help, I hopefully will. So thank you all so much for listening. Thank you guys for supporting. I appreciate you so much. And um, I'm still like kind of flabbergasted that this show has done as well as it has. And I'm just super grateful for all of you. Next week on the podcast, I have porn legend and pioneer John Stagliano. If you don't know who John is, he is a really significant figure in the adult industry. He is the owner and creator of Evil Angel, but he's also been in the industry for decades and he's really seen all of the changes that have happened. He's fought obscenity cases in the court. He contracted HIV. He's really been at the epicenter of a lot of incredibly important changes that have happened in the adult industry. And if you listen to my podcast with Ginger Banks, 
you will know that she um, had some things to say about his behavior on the Cam Girls movie. And so John is here to tell his side of the story. And we always try to provide a fair platform for everybody. So make sure that you come back next week for John Stagliano on Holly Randall Unfiltered. <laughs>